You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast. My name is Chelsea Slotton, and today I am joined by Deidre Black, Emily Long, and Sarah Head. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Howdy, howdy. And our topic for today's uh, podcast is going to be the drinking culture in archaeology. So, Emily, do you want to start us off with just a quick summation of what the drinking culture in archaeology is? So we all have a different relationship with alcohol and when we think it's okay to consume, when it's not, etc. And in archaeology, we there's definitely this pervasive culture of drinking in many different areas. So and at conferences, at um, on projects, at field schools, and all of those have its own subculture too when it comes to drinking and when people drink, how much they drink, what do they drink, um, whether it's, you know, a, a jug of Carlo Rossi or if you're going to get classy and drink some whiskey or something. <laughs> it, it, it can really change. And within all of that, there's definitely different types of behavior that's considered appropriate, what is inappropriate, and that can change at every different venue at which people are working or attending a conference. So there's kind of this unique culture and subcultures in archaeology where drinking is considered something you do. And there can be times when if you're not much of a drinker or a drinker at all, it can be difficult for those who are just like, I just would like to have an iced tea or a soda. People are like, what? You need to be having a drink right now. What's wrong with you? And it's like, not necessary but that that uh pervasiveness can be there where you're feeling pressured but then you can have the other end of the spectrum where it's incredibly lighthearted and there is no pressure so i guess the in a nutshell in archaeology and drinking you can have many extremes one way or the other and it can change depending where you are, whether it's an academic project or if it's a CRM project, if you're primarily with academics or with a mix of different types of archaeologists, it can really depend. For sure. Now, I think that all of us on this call have had some some different experiences with drinking in the field, either doing it yourself or not doing it yourself or someone on your your crew doing it. Some of them have been positive. Some of them have been negative. Um, do we want to do a little bit of show and tell? <laughs> yeah, I will tell about sweating it out. <laughs> <laughs> so this tell this tell is actually it happened more than once. It happens a lot, mostly on survey, mostly on CRM survey mostly guys <laughs> and it's where uh, someone they get 
they get back in their room, they have their shower beer, they get out of the shower and they have another beer, they have, you know, three fingers of whiskey with dinner, and then they drink until they fall asleep. Which, A, until your body metabolizes that alcohol, you're not actually going to enter REM sleep, which is what you need to do this long term and not completely tear up your body. Uh, but the other is that in the morning, sometimes they're still drunk. And right about the time we get in that second or third shovel test, they start sweating it out. And I can smell it. Oh, and it's I can stinky. And they're just sweating like crazy as their body, as their liver is putting everything into their bloodstream. Just... <laughs> Nothing smells worse than drunk sweat. That's just, well. Mm-hmm. And some of these people may that. also have been imbibing of other relaxing substances i don't know there's drinking at the end of the day and then they're still drunk in the morning mm-hmm. and everyone's having to watch out for you it's really unsafe especially if it's hot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sweating it out in 120 degrees is not fun and it could potentially be deadly well, and starting your day dehydrated is not setting yourself up for a particularly productive or good day in general. And then I mentioned the 120 degrees. <laughs> Definitely unpleasant. Oh, uh, yeah. I've had so a... that, that, that's more on the, uh, that's, I would say that's on the negative side. Definitely. I mean, I'd be the first to admit, there's nothing quite so as, like, refreshing as, like, a super cold beer on a boiling hot day. But then you have to think about, well... I have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning the next day and start hydrated so I don't, you know, pass out. So <laughs> there's a lot to consider <laughs> when on these projects where it's like, do I want to start dehydrated, gross, and sick, and wanting to throw up? Maybe not. I might just have a delicious iced tea and some Gatorade. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, Does someone else want to sh- uh, share a show-and-tell story? Definitely. So I, I'll hit the, the other end of that spectrum. Um... I think it's worth noting that I have done exclusively academic archaeology in my career. And I can't say that I've ever run into to like any real serious problems with people getting super wasted or sweating it out or, you know, being so intoxicated or so hungover the next day that they're unsafe to work with. I've been on plenty of excavations where you get done, you go take a shower, everybody has a shower beer, or everybody has a beer, a glass of wine with dinner. <laughs> but you have one, maybe two. And that's and, the big difference between one and six. Right. <laughs> and you might you might have a drink every night for three weeks while you're excavating, but you're never incapacitated. See, and therein is the difference between... The social drinking aspect, which I think is, I mean, that's just part of the culture, period. I mean, those of us who choose not to participate, we are sort of outliers, and that's okay. I accept that fact. But the, I think the drinking that we're really trying to get at is the overindulgence and the chronic overindulgence um, that can happen on both ends. I mean, it's not just a CRM thing. It can also be an academic thing. I mean, how many times have we heard about the the infamous kooky professor who drinks all the young kids under the table? It's like, yeah, you don't get that way without some practice. There, there is a there is a uh, professor that I know of that had to 
uh, not go to the country of his study for over for about a decade because whilst there he was driving while intoxicated oh dear the person he got in a wreck with was well connected might have been the offspring of the local law enforcement. Mm. Like how you put that. <laughs> Maybe. That was very <laughs> Might have been the offspring. <laughs> and uh, so it, it affected his studies. Because he couldn't go back for yeah. a decade. He had to wait till you know, the local people changed a bit and everything else. And I mean, it's not just that kind of stuff that... I mean, that, that's an extreme case. But well, yeah. I'll just let everybody know right now, like, I, I have a very negative view of alcoholism, basically, because, you know, I come from background of it. I don't cotton yeah. to it. I just I have a hard time being around it. And it's, it's an uncomfortable situation for someone like me to be in because it's like, and I, and I know Emily and I have talked about this briefly about the whole being the only non-drinker in the room. And it's it's uncomfortable, especially since, like, and I, I've realized this over the years. It's not that the people who are drinking are trying to pressure you into drinking. It's they feel judged by you because you're not drinking. I'm like, I'm yeah, not I, judging you at all. I just choose not to drink. And all I want is you to respect that choice. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually the teetotaler in the room myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm usually the only person not drinking. Not that I don't drink at all. I just don't drink. Usually when I'm working, I don't like to... I don't like the feeling of losing my inhibitions. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to be put in a situation where somebody has to be the adult and everyone is drunk. Mm -hmm. And that can be an awkward situation, too. Especially, um, like, I, I've been where, like, if I'm an assistant or something, like, your crew members some are are older and if you you shouldn't have to feel like the parent for mm -hmm. somebody who should Don't know they shouldn't run up to you and say i hate you you're the worst <laughs> crew chief i've ever had and i'm like i'm technically not your crew chief and they're like well i still hate you and you're the worst and then the next day expecting me to just be like yeah nothing happened and it's like yeah, you were really drunk and said some horrendous things to me last night. And they're like, whatever, just kidding. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. What? <laughs> or, or trying to get someone that could be your grandfather for, to not go down the dark alley in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, there's not more booze that way. And you yeah, I have to, like, walk people back to hotels. And, and they're I touching. A... Oh, God. Touchy feeling drunks. No, I'm not a drunk sitter. I, I have a personal policy. I do not oh. drunk sit. I am not a designated driver. Like, just because I don't drink doesn't mean I'm here to watch out for you. Mm -hmm. So, I guess that's maybe the other reason people don't like me around here. <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> going to take care of you just because I'm not drinking. Exactly. Or the whole thing, it's like, well, we've seen you drink before. I'm like, well, just because I occasionally have a beer doesn't mean I want to drink right now. It's like, do it. I'm like, I have paperwork to do. I don't feel like it. Like, do it. I'm like, no! You Come out know. with us! <laughs> and then it, also, if you are drinking and someone else is not drinking, please don't grill them That's about why. Because that has been the biggest thing I've run into 
Yeah. I mean, it's not even that someone's telling the fifth joke, the same joke the fifth time again, because they've had so many. It's, why don't you drink? Why aren't you drinking? I was like, I I can say I don't like this food or I don't like that food. People are like, yeah, whatever. But if I can say I don't drink, like, you have to have a reason. (laughs) Well, it it comes back to that whole, it's, you're the outlier, and you're doing this thing that is, that is, so ingrained in social culture like every right. social culture drinks pretty much all of them that i can think of drink yeah. but when you choose not to participate in this common activity that we all know there's a problem with drinking in the field of archaeology we all know that mm-hmm. and, and so blogs that talk about that too yeah. yeah, and I think yeah. it comes down to people because that's the first thing people ask me when I tell them I don't want to drink. Well, why not? Why aren't you drinking? Well, A, I, I don't, don't want to. to, and B, it's none of your damn business. But the problem is, is they're trying to figure out if you're judging them for drinking. Like they want to know if you think they're wrong. Like, I, like I wouldn't be hanging out with those people. Right. Exactly. If I didn't if, like you, or if I was judging you, I wouldn't have come out yeah. with you in the first place. You know, like, just be happy I'm driving home. Come on. Yeah. I usually take my own car, but yeah, you know, because when I want to leave, I want to leave. I don't want to wait for the rest of you. <laughs> just kind of going into a bit, like, about archaeology culture in general and how we're talking about, you know, people having their shower beers and whatnot. It can be almost hard to describe unless you're in a similar field where that kind of field work happens if you're in geology or biology. I don't yeah. know if it's the same. Uh, geology, definitely. Like, yeah, I had a roommate that was in geology, and it's very similar. I think any field where they're away from home for long periods of time, picked up in a hotel room, and having to live and deal with the same people you're working with, I think they, I think we're all going to have the same problems. But right, for I definitely work. know roughnecks have that issue because I've been in the room next to them. Right. Yeah, there you go. For for field work, I think any time that you're away, that that that's true. But one thing that a lot of the blogs. Um, mention is that when you have archaeological conferences, it has been known to happen on more than one occasion that the hotel has to buy more kegs. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, every, every conference I've been to. And yeah. the ready for archaeology conference is rolling into town. Those bars get stocked. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but some bars don't know or some hotels don't know that they need to do that because they kind of think, oh, well, it's a conference. Um, right and the other conferences the geology conference maybe didn't need you know this much booze or the actuary conference or you know whatever pick a discipline conference so so i think that uh the archaeologists might carry carry the drinking beyond just the field Mm -hmm. yes Oh, yes. At conferences, it's, it can be absolutely crazy in the most fun way possible. And then you have the other extreme. I think, again, you can have both extremes where people are just having so much fun and you're with your friends and you're carousing and just that kind of um, atmosphere and that it's togetherness and that kind of thing. And the byproduct of that is y'all got drunk. But... <laughs> And no, no one's on time for their 8 a.m. papers. I don't even show up for 8 a.m. papers, and I don't drink, so, you know. It's for the grad students. Why are you scheduling 8 a.m. papers? That's all I have to say about that. Oh. Speaking that, of 8 a.m. papers, the, I'm getting the, one at the, the SAAs. At the conference is a great place to 
you know, find new people, yeah. interact with them, maybe find a job. Yeah, exactly. But on the other hand, if you're the person that doesn't drink, and you're not down at the bar, like, I'll go down to the bar and have a soda or tea or whatever. But if I'm not there every night, all night, into the fifth telling of the same joke. Well, let's be honest, though. You're probably not missing a, a job at that point, though. Mm-hmm. No, but once people have gotten past the social part of the yeah. drinking and they're just yeah. into their cups at that point, right? there's no weird yeah. feeling that's going on because no one's going to remember it the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also people remember me. Yes. As stuck up because I left early or I didn't go yeah, to every evening. I think Jake's just bringing up a really good point, mm-hmm. and I know that we're really close to break, so I I want to hit on some points that Deidre's bringing up uh, when right. we come back about this whole non-drinker, surrounded by drinkers thing. Definitely, and segueing into that before we, we take our break, um, as someone who, who does drink, I like not necessarily a lot. I would not classify myself as having a problem. I can quite happily go months without drinking. When I go to conferences, yeah, I will show up and I'll have a couple beers at the evening event. And if I leave early or I skip an evening event, nobody's looking at me and saying, well, you're stuck up or you're judging because you're leaving early or, you know, so it, it can provide some some social freedom. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about being the the non-drinker. And um, I'd also like to hit on the, the whys and wherefores that we've ended up being a, a drinking group. Let's face it. The quality of archaeological field photography could really use some improvement. We aim to change this with the Codify Magic Photo Board. This lightweight but incredibly durable board is designed to help you take color-perfect photos of artifacts, features, and sites using almost any camera, even your smartphone. You need to see it to believe it. Engineered from exceptional quality, color-safe, high-pressure laminate, Codify Magic Photo Board is ready for tough field conditions. It's guaranteed to level up your photography. Start taking publication-worthy photos right in the field with the Codify Magic Photo Board. Available now for pre-order, visit codify.com APN. That's codifi.com forward slash APN today and get your promo code exclusively for listeners of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology Podcast. On today's episode, we have been discussing the drinking culture in archaeology. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the impacts being a non-drinker can have on your career and your perception within the field. Um, so I believe, Sarah, you had some some thoughts that you wanted to come back to on that? Yeah, building off of what Deidre was saying before we went to break, the whole um, with the conferences and the being the non-drinker thing, and she's correct. When you are at a conference, and everybody, and this is, again, one of those things I just feel like everybody who's been doing this for a while knows you have to be present in the bars after the conference, because that's where the wheeling and the dealing and the handshaking and the elbow rubbing happens as a non drinker. It can be uncomfortable or awkward depending on why you're a non drinker. Um, but I want to impress upon And we've talked about this in the conference episodes that we've done. 
I want to impress upon people that it's important that you go. So this is one of those weird situations where you have to, you have to police yourself and there's some tricks, I guess is what I'm trying to get at that I have learned over the years. Cause the first couple of conferences I went to, I was incredibly uncomfortable going to the bars after the conferences. And what did I learn is if you buy a drink, not a, an alcoholic drink, but buy like a Coke or a glass of water or my other favorite one to get is a Shirley Temple mm -hmm. and just carry it around with you and nurse it. Most people will just assume that you are also drinking and they won't ask you weird, awkward questions and they won't treat you oddly either. And as long as you're getting your own drinks, which I highly recommend because I'm paranoid. Um, well, that's a that's good advice no matter the situation, whether you're working on a project or you're at a conference. Get your own drinks. Be safe. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Very good advice I, to stick in I'm there. just paranoid. But, um, but yeah, at the conference, I have, at conferences I have found. And then this also works on the cruise sometimes as I'll buy dark bottled um, soda pops that don't have real blazoned labels and I'll just carry like a root beer around with me and I have found that having something that resembles what people expect an alcoholic drink to look like in your hand actually brings the, un the discomfort level down and it stops the weird awkward questions if you're a non-drinker for other reasons like I just simply do not drink but if you're like a recovering alcoholic or something like that that trick may not work for you uh, being present in a bar may not be a great idea for you. Uh, you just need to know your own, you need to know yourself well enough to know if you can handle a situation like that. So, and, but, if you, and if you have friends or a doctor for your recovery, talk to them about it. Say, yeah, everyone socializes this way. What yeah. do I do? Can I call you? Like if you have a sponsor. Yeah. But the problem is, is there's so... The, it's so important, unfortunately, to go into those social situations after the conference. Like, I don't want to see people crippling themselves to be a non-drinker. But anyway, that's my soapbox. Um, yeah, I usually get a soda and I put the little, the little stirring stick. There you go. <laughs> in there. Non-drinking tricks. Um, for when I'm at conferences, when I'm in the field, I had to pretend like at first, but after that, after a point, I was like, I don't give a damn. Yeah, and and as a crew chief that wasn't drink, drinking, my crew members that are recovering alcoholics felt extremely comfortable being on my crew, so it gave them a good option that they don't always have. Yeah, and that's see, creating a haven for recovering alcoholics within the field is actually really awesome, and I wish we could right. do that more. And so I, I was on one very long project once long. And slowly, I had a lot of the recovering people migrate towards my crew. And so everyone else is hanging out. You know, we're all in the same hotel, but my crew, we'd sort of be off towards the end, not right by the cooler of beer. So we'd be socializing, but slightly offset from the alcohol. Uh, and that was nice for them, and that was nice for me, because I was like, all right, when no slurred speech. It's definitely important to to have or create those those spaces and they they don't exist as much as as would be ideal in archaeology potentially you know in society as a whole but that is a whole other conversation but i think it might be interesting to talk a little bit about how we got 
to, to this state mm-hmm. where where archaeology um, where drinking is just such a huge part of archaeology. And I think some of it, which we touched on in our first 20 minutes, is that you spend all day with these people and then you spend, you know, all night camping or in the same hotel with them. Um, you know, you're going out and getting dinner together. You might be in the middle of nowhere and you're bored and they're the only people to hang out with. Um, and it's remote and there might not be a lot to do, but you can drink, you know, or there and might smoke. be right? That might be that one person who really annoys you and you decide that you're going to deal with that annoyance by drinking, which is not healthy. You should talk it out. You could be bored and drinking is something to do. So there are, there are a lot of reasons why you might drink, but when you start talking about why archaeology maybe more than some other disciplines, we have always had going back to the the foundings of our discipline, this tough guy image. And you talk about people you know, going and finding the Valley of the Kings, which 100 years ago was across the world almost. I mean, not literally, but figuratively. It was so far from the, these centers of ar- archaeological you know, thought and, and universities. Or you were trekking out into the wilderness somewhere else and you've got this I'm a tough guy and I'm gonna bring my you know big knife and and be whacking through the bush and I might not speak the same language as anyone (laughs) and this this persona of being a, a tough guy has kind of followed us around and one of the things that our society today recognizes as being a tough guy is being able to drink someone under the table or, you know, just holding your holding your alcohol. And that, that old persona of what an archaeologist is is still influencing our drinking habits today. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. And if you think about, like, I mean, just looking back on some of the projects I've been on, it's like, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things just to say, throw out there, is that we're not trying to demonize drinking by any stretch. That... I mean, I occasionally drink. Drinking is not a bad thing. It's the reasoning behind it. Or if you're just drinking, like Chelsea said, if you're bored, that type of thing, that's that's when you, things start to get worrisome. And looking at our the history, the culture, from a guy sitting around with his bottle of whiskey and his knife going to archaeological sites to, you know, the Mad Men era where it's just common to have cocktails at... I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning, to where even for, for women to try to feel more like I'm, I'm part of the group, I think there's a, that f- sensation that or that feeling that you need to drink more to be tough and to show that you're part of this bigger culture that has been around for however long, that you have to be drinking that you have to have like you have to pass that bottle of whiskey around and you have to take a big gulp or you have to drink um, five beers to keep up with everybody else when in reality there's really it's peer pressure yeah I mean it's just just textbook peer pressure whether it's intentional or not (laughs) yeah I mean so you want to be part of an in-group the in-group does x therefore you must also do x 
And some people may be drinking to deal with poorly uh, handled mental issues. Some people may be drinking to deal with the sexism that they have to put up with or the racism they have to put up with to keep their job. Um, The the self-medicating is not a small part of the CRM archaeology drinking culture, especially when you're drinking alone. Right. Versus in groups. There's also a lot of solo. Now, the solo drinking is where I start to get concerned about my coworkers. I'm never going to tell somebody not to do it. I mean, maybe I will. Um, but <laughs> I, I have. I, I will not begrudge you your shower beer, but uh, oh no, God, maybe no, think after that one. <laughs> I mean, I don't drink beer, but I understand having that first cold sweet drink when you get back from the field, especially on the super hot, crazy days. I get that. I really do. I, I even keep myself. I have a cooler Mexican Coca Cola. Oh, yeah, I do. That I drink in the shower while the grime is melting off. (laughs) My favorite is chocolate milk, ice-cold chocolate milk. (laughs) I love, if I don't have access to the Coke, I have uh, whole milk with an ice cube in it. Oh, I love that. As long as I'm not going back out to where it's hot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, that doesn't bother me. I'll drink milk in the middle of the day when I'm working. Everybody thinks I'm crazy, but it makes me feel better. I don't know why. Hey, if it works, yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's that's what Winston Churchill likes to drink because he had ulcers. Yeah. That's well, it. Well, like, they would drink a whiskey like, and then a milk. <laughs> <laughs> the ulcers may have been brought on by all the other stuff he was drinking. <laughs> right. You know, milk, what was the old what was the old treatment for ulcers? Well, and I'm not and I'm not begrudging people like if you want to have a beer with like if you go out with your crew. Even if it's every night, you know, every night the crew usually goes out and eats, most nights. If you want to get a beer, or you want to get a cocktail, or you want to get a drink because you're wherever you are. I mean, craft beer is a thing right now. I mean, there's a lot of crazy beers out there. Try them. It's, it's the constant drinking. It's the, I had my shower beer, then I had my after shower beer, then I had my before dinner beer, then I had my beer with dinner, then I had my after dinner <laughs> beer, then I had my before bed beer, and then I woke up drunk. Right. It's, you know, it's the excess that is, is a problem. You know, yeah, that... it's the excess that is a problem. And alcoholism, as and I keep running over Chelsea, but as Chelsea brought up last segment and beginning of this one, it's a problem in archaeology. And it's one that we are aware of as a field. And it's not just with the CRM. It, it apparently is also an issue with academia. You know, and it's what kind of what is it that's about the archaeology culture that lets that become such a huge issue for us? And it's, and it's also very difficult to address the alcoholism and the alcohol culture because we've I've been uh, talked to people that had conferences. And I was like, have you ever considered having a non-alcoholic social like like a midday thing during the conference? And they're mm-hmm. like, no, because but people are like, why would you do that? <laughs> I would show up. And I'm like, I'd show up, and I'm sure there's I'd at least 10 up. people that would. You, will there be cheese? I'll show up. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, people have enough snacks. Right? I actually have to say, I went to the, the AAAs this year, and there were some lunchtime, like, interest group meetings. So, uh, for, like, the bioarchaeology interest group, there was a lunchtime nice. meeting where... They may have had like water bottles or juice bottles or something. It wasn't 
they weren't providing us lunch. It was more of a brown bag situation, but it was come socialize, hang out with people who are interested in the same thing you are. There was no alcohol provided. You know, it was lunch. I don't think anyone was bringing beer or alcohol into this event. I can't say that I, you know, went around looking in everyone's lunch bag. So I can't say for certain, <clears throat> but, but drinking definitely wasn't the purpose Part of it. Yeah. Of, of that event. So I, th- I think the issues, not, I mean, yeah, there are definitely issues at these conferences and, and whatnot. I think it gets more to when you are on these types of projects, whether it's a field school CRM project, because it, it's much more individualistic. You do go back to your own room or you're going back to your own tent and you are away from home and you're relatively isolated I think that can bring out like that need to be like, okay, well, I need something comforting. And for some people, that is a, a beer or a cocktail or many yeah. of said things, and that can bring out a bigger issue. I don't know. I mean, or just many different factors where you could be an extremely happy person and still have these issues come up, and drinking is the solution. And well, see, that's the trick with alcoholism, just, though. Yeah. Alcoholism. Alcoholics don't drink because they had a bad day. Exactly. This Alcoholics is- drink. That's that's what they do. You wouldn't yeah. be an alcoholic otherwise. Exactly. They, they have that may, Yeah, it may have started as a coping method, but exactly. you can't blame the problems for the drinking. It's the drinking for the sake of drinking, and that's the problem with alcoholism. It's insidious. Yeah, it sneaks up on you. You're an alcoholic before you realize it. And I think what Chelsea was trying to get to with the whole um, conference thing, we as a field put a lot of weight on drinking. It's the draw. Like, how do we how do we get the archaeologists to socialize? Oh, well, we'll have an open bar. You know, how do we get the crew to hang out together? Oh, I'll buy a cake. I'll buy a, a six pack or a twelve pack of beer. And we can share it at the barbecue. Or, hey, we'll go check out this bar that's just down the road. Right. It's, it's the I, excuse yeah. that we use to socialize. And so there is an unintentional, unstated pressure to drink. I don't think any of us are sitting around going, how can I turn all archaeologists to <laughs> alcoholics? It's yeah, just, exactly. It happens. Right. I, I even have an example for you there. Sure. Yeah. So I was in grad school, so it was academia, and uh, there was, you know, a weekend where everyone was going to be in town, but off because there was a holiday. And I was like, hey, why don't we go down to the park, because there's a park in the middle of campus with the river. It's fabulous. And I'll bring meat. And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I was like, you know, I'm like, you can't bring glass into the park because people are running around barefoot. But, you know, I'll have a big pitcher of tea, you bring whatever you want to bring, you know, but I'm going to buy, you know, all this meat. And I had, I bought quite a bit of meat considering my TA stipend. <laughs> um, and I'm, I had it marinating, I was getting ready. And then the day before, uh, the grad student with the party house said, hey guys, I'm throwing a party. Aww. Mm. I was like, I, I was like, what about my cookout in the park? Everyone loves food that's been charred. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. vegetables 
and meat. Come on. <laughs> and she's like, but everyone can just come over, and I have a keg. And it, if you get drunk, it doesn't matter. You can just sleep on my couch. And oh. I can drink until I want as much as I want not have to worry about driving home. Yeah. Well, and- So I showed up to the park anyway because I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I made a huge sign that said uh, barbecue for people who don't suck. <laughs> and like two people showed up Aww. and they showed up like it was the pity vote because they went straight from my they like ate a hot dog and went over to her house and I was just like you know what F all you guys yeah right I, I tried I, I had been to her house parties a bunch of times and I had tried and I was like you know I hear people talk about being in grad school and they know these people forever you know what? Everyone, almost everyone hated me. Aww. They're like, let's go party. I'm like, I have 600 pages to read. They're like, nah, right. just skim them. I was like, you don't understand. I took a five-year break, and the whole time I was thinking how I could have schooled better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. another thing to... I was to... like... I'm a schoolie, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing to mention with the, the field schools... And this is particularly true for undergrads, um, not grad students, but if you were talking about going to a field school somewhere outside of the United States, that often means that your drinking, your legal drinking age is going to be under 21. So you can run into issues in field schools where you have people who for the first time in their lives can legally go to the corner store and buy a six pack. And it's so new and it's so novel and it still kind of feels rebellious because they know that they wouldn't be able to do it at home. So you do also get that. Um, not just throwing a kegger, you know, near wherever you're, you're going to, to school. Um, well, but I think at that point, and this is something we've touched on on other episodes as well, this is where the supervisors of the field schools and the director of the field school needs to step in and be like, I'm the adult in the group. And, you know, you're, it's your job to keep track of your students it, when it's that kind of situation. And if you're just letting them go off and get drunk every night because they can, you're not doing anybody any favors and you're not really doing a great job of teaching your students. I'm sorry. That's just how I feel about that one. Well, especially if the supervisor is sitting there challenging drinking them along for drinking contests yeah. every night. Yeah, I mean, you're dealing with kids. I mean, let's face it. These, these are people who are just out of high school, most of them. They're, they're still kids. They don't know how to drink. They don't know what their limits are. You know, And they're looking at their professor. Kind of a, exactly. They're looking at the, the person in charge, whether they say it or not. You're the person who needs to set the example for this is what an adult does in this situation. And whether that's Show not... them what moderation looks like. Right. Exactly. And professionalism in general. It's just... Exactly. So that then they learn at any type of event or get together in archaeology, yeah, you can have a drink if you want. Be professional, because yeah. at the end of the day, nobody wants to take care of your, you know, pukey self if... Right, there's that too. You overindulge. You don't want to be that person like oh i remember at field school 10 years ago that was that student over there that did x y and z the small community 
Yeah, yeah you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I, I still remember the girl that decided it was a great idea to swing a vine off the top of a pyramid in the jungle <laughs> and let go at the end and cracked her ankle. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Drunk people do dumb stuff, so... <laughs> yes. If you're drunk, don't do dumb stuff. That's just, you know, still that one right there. So this does bring us to the end of our second section. But when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how drunken escapades can negatively impact your future career trajectory. I'm Jessica Uquinto, and I'm the host of the Heritage Voices podcast. Heritage Voices focuses on how CRM and heritage professionals, public employees, tribes, and descendant communities can best work together to protect their heritage through tribal consultation, collaborative ethnography, and indigenous archaeology. Now back to the show. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far this episode we have been discussing the drinking culture in archaeology and we are going to move on to discuss some of the negative impacts that drinking excessively can have uh, both on your career as well as on your personal life. Uh, specifically as women. Yes, specifically as women. Um, so, yeah, Dean, you were bringing up some good points during the break about, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact just being a woman can make a big difference in terms of drinking. Right, right. Um, you know, so as as a non-drinker, I see a lot of parallels as being a woman. You know, when I'm a woman and I'm having issues as, you know, from misogyny, I have to assure all the men around me that it's not them, it's okay. Uh, and as a non-drinker, I have to tell all the drinkers around me it's not you, it's okay. Um, but there's a lot of intersect there. Uh, yeah. Especially in, in personal safety. And we've already touched a little bit on, you know, women in our field often feel the need to prove that they can keep up with the guys. Um, no matter how many fresh out of undergrad uh, guys that I leave in my wake as I go hiking, shovel testing up a mountain, you know, there's still that need to show that I'm tougher, you know, and a lot of women who, who drink feel the need to show they can keep up with the guys. Um, yeah. And this can run into the problems. Now, I want to preface this with saying the only person whose fault it is that an assault happens, be it physical or sexual, is the person doing the assaulting. Yeah, exactly. I want, like, let's get that out there. It is the fault of the assaulter. You know. It doesn't matter how much anyone has had to drink. No person has the right to harm exactly. you in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. Yeah, guys, oh. no means no, and if she can't consent, it's still a no. Right. But we're still working on getting the rest of the world to realize this. Mm-hmm. And so there's a thing that we have to address. We have to keep our eye on the guy. Mm-hmm. We have to keep an eye on our drink. And, you know, women can rape too. Women can assault as well. I've known women that will beat the shit out of you if they're drunk. <laughs> um, so it's 
don't drink so much that you lose sense of your surroundings and always keep that little bit keep your observation powers practice it's great for the field your powers of observation how many drinks has you know my friend my girlfriend sitting next to me drunk how much has that big lady over there drunk how much are these guys drunk what are the chances of a parking lot altercation should we walk as a group back to our hotel rooms Mm -hmm. um just to until we can get the rest of the world to realize it is the fault of the assaulter we have to just keep don't drink so much you lose your faculties well, see, and um, what Deidre's saying applies to everybody, though. Nobody, right. personally, nobody should be drinking themselves into oblivion. I don't care right. who you are, what your gender is. Just don't drink that much. Right. It's bad for you. It's right. bad for I'm you. Just, I'm just saying that women are more likely to be targeted. And then yes. usually in a normal social situation when we say, don't drink so you don't get raped, what we're really saying is, don't drink so someone else gets raped. But when we're in these isolated little pockets... There is no one else. And so you really have to keep your faculties. And, and with it's... a group of people you don't know, or even with a group of people you do know, it's always better to be safe than sorry. And Well, and most people know their attackers. Most, right. people know the, most people know the person that raped them. Most people know the person that beat the shit out of them. Most people know the person outside of, excuse me, outside of a pickpocket situation and the professional muggers of large cities most people know the person that stole from them a lot of our socialization as women in a misogynist culture has told us to ignore our gut about a person to ignore our feelings about a person but if you feel this dude is sketchy the dude is sketchy trust your gut and if they make you uneasy tell someone Mm -hmm. so that the person that could be the perpetrator can be watched by other people Tell the person at the bar, tell your crew chief, if it's your crew chief, tell the PI, say, this person is drinking, they are making me uncomfortable, I feel they may get violent. Make, this is a way that we, this is also the way that we as a culture start getting the focus of the assault on the perpetrator. Yeah. Say, that person, that person is a potential assaulter. Well, and unfortunately we do know from recent uh, news articles, and and I am profoundly grateful that it's starting to get some media coverage, and that we are talking about it as a discipline. Right. But this this does happen, be it the issues that the National Park Service has had, or the yeah, um, you know the the curator at the American Museum of Natural History, or um, you know, I mean these these events do happen. Whether it's big scale to small scale, where you're at the bar with the crew mm-hmm. and your supervisor comes up behind you and starts rubbing your back, being like, hey, how does this feel? And you're like, yeah, that's not okay. I mean, yeah. from even just something as small as that may seem to what Chelsea you're talking about to these well-known news articles, I'm hoping it will be obvious to everyone then more and more over the next I'm hoping in the next year, but you know, maybe the next 20 years, like this behavior is not acceptable at any point by anybody. It's like alcohol can bring out a lot of fun in people, but can also bring out the worst in people. Someone who wouldn't typically behave a nasty way in the workplace. Well, after work, 
who knows? And it's... And there's been a lot of research that's been done into the correlation between drinking culture and the correlation of, and and the instances of date rape or sexual assault (laughs) of, uh, of females. I mean, because that's what happens to the most. It doesn't mean that's the only people it happens to. It's just what we're talking about right now. But the problem that they've found is that men who are planning on perpetrating an assault will actually use alcohol as their chosen weapon and not even like roofing a drink. They will just keep feeding someone alcohol. You know, how many times have people who do drink or people who take care of people who drink, how many times have you taken care of somebody and they're just like, oh man, somebody just kept putting drinks in my hand and I just kept drinking. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's, well, and- it's a true thing and they do that, but they also tend to not drink as much themselves. They'll do that nursing a drink thing. On the flip where they'll side. they'll have a drink or two. And, yes. and they may be drinking just enough to get their nerve up to do what they're planning to do. Right. right. And I mean, I'm talking about predator. Predator. Yeah, and absolutely. We don't want to, like, unnecessarily. I mean, it, we don't want to scare people in the field. Like, like these people yeah. are angry. But at the same time, it's like, don't. Don't be dumb. Well, I hate to use oh, just, just, just keep aware. No, use common sense. That yeah. Be, be aware and, and don't be alone <laughs> with another person. I mean, well, it unfortunately mostly. does come down to you need to be responsible for yourself. Exactly. All the fun, all the great pie in the sky things that we've said, you know, with the whole, you know, it shouldn't be like this, it shouldn't be like this. It is. And the best protection you have against this kind of crap is to protect yourself don't assume that people are going to swoop in and save you and don't put yourself in a situation that you don't feel comfortable you don't feel comfortable leave just leave you don't have to be there and who cares if they think you're stuck up whatever you're safe right the the other thing don't think you're stuck up yeah we've talked a lot about women watching how much they drink on the flip side of that they have done studies where in some of the, uh, like, almost less clear-cut cases, or at least legally, mm-hmm. um, where you have two parties who are both imbibing too much, they've both, right. mm-hmm. you know, are, are beyond the, the legal limit of consent. You know, they're both too drunk to consent. They're both too drunk to know that the other person is too drunk to consent. Um, right. You know, not this, I'm not talking about predator behavior. I'm t- not talking right, about right, men right. who are trying to find women to take advantage of. Um, but when you're really drunk, you can read a situation wrong. And a exactly. lot of the, you know, the rapes and the date rapes that, that do happen often involve alcohol, um, you know, and imbibing by both parties. So it's not just women watch out about how much you drink, but also men watch out about how much you drink because you don't want to be that guy who wakes up the next morning and goes, oh, God, what did I do? Exactly. And I think that society puts a lot of pressure on men and the amount that they are supposed to be able to drink. I, I, I well, then there's even a cultural term for waking up next to someone you wouldn't have. Yeah, coyote ugly. Yeah. But as, as we said, that it's part of the culture of saying that men, you have to go out, you have to drink, you got yeah. to get the girl. 
Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot more pressure on men societally for that to happen. And I think that causes a lot of the over-drinking and the over-inviting and the, well, we're both drunk, let's go to bed kind of thing. It's like, yeah, now you're both going to wake up in the morning. And then this is, I'm talking from an archaeological, you know, uh, grouping thing here. You know, how many times have you guys been on a crew, uh, a mixed-gender crew, you've got two people who slept together, and now that's just awkward for the rest of the freaking day. Weird. And they always oh, not, together not always because they were mixed gender. Well, no, but I've always seen it that way. I mean, I, this is me thinking, speaking for personal experience, I guess I should say. But it, it is. It's just a pain. It's like now you've got two people who can't work together because they're so, like, mortified that it even happened. They can't even look at each other. And, of course, then there's the rumors that have to work their way through the crew because we're all five. You well, know. it goes back to that whole professionalism thing, too. It's exactly. Kind of right. Even and though it's the end of the day and you've stopped work, and that kind of atmosphere, the work really doesn't stop until you are back home. So if you're on an eight-day session, even at the yeah. end of the day, you're still with the same people. And if that, that whatever happens flows into the next day, well, then it's affecting the workplace. Yeah, exactly. And so if you just don't – men and women, if you just don't drink yourself into these situations – it makes it better for everybody. Yeah. Sometimes it's like high school. It's this little insular area with lots of gossip. Everyone knows who everyone slept with. <laughs> it might cost you a job. It might get you a job that you don't want. And it even it, it might not even be that you slept with someone. It's that you're an angry drunk. Like I, yeah, I don't want to shame anyone. Like you want to have sex, go ahead. But it all really comes down to. Keep your wits about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. I don't. I feel like, and we have problem. Tro- we have problems with that over and over again. As a discipline, I mean, as a society. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. A society. We're sort of a, a little cooking glass <laughs> subset of We're society at large under a microscope and go yes yes that's what's going on <laughs> let's just put these people together not give them health care or good pay or benefits and, and put them all lots of alcohol <laughs> just put alcohol and sharp things <laughs> and put them in the middle of nowhere where it's really hot or really cold <clears throat> nothing comfortable I, I don't want people to take away from this episode that we're like, okay, I personally hate drinking, but that's me. Um, but I don't want anybody else to take away from the episode that we're telling them, you know, you can't drink, you can't socialize, you can't go out and be friends and trust your crew or, you know, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, I guess. Just do it fully aware of who you are, what's going on, and fully consensual, I guess, is what we're trying to say, I guess. Yeah. And, and if you want to do this to career... When you're socializing with other archaeologists, it's a little bit of work. Yeah, it you're, is. You're, you are unfortunately never fully away from your career when you're socializing with other people in the same career. Especially if your supervisors are involved. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah. just in general, that tends to be a bad idea. Yeah, or like, if you're the supervisor. Like... Yeah, definitely if you're the supervisor. So, yeah, so it's like don't be afraid to drink, but at the same time, don't go so overboard that it could negatively impact your health, social life, and career. Yeah. Have a happy medium. 
you know, yeah. find, find a, a good, you know, common ground where it, it all works out for you. Where you're just like, okay, well maybe I'll drink a little now, or maybe I won't drink at all, or this will be the one occasion I have a beer, or maybe I will wait till I get home, or I'm going to eat a ton of fried fruit, fried food on this one project, I'm gonna eat, you know, some salad so I don't, you know, get a heart attack. <laughs> some roughage in there yeah but yeah so like it's like with anything moderation is probably the safest bet and then using common sense you just gotta be cognizant of what you're doing and for my non-drinkers if you're a non-drinker for reasons besides uh you know addiction you know we've gone through a lot of tips and tricks um and if you're a non-drinker because you really shouldn't be drinking, you recognize that you have a problem with it, see if, you know, have some conversations with your crew chief, with your supervisor um, out in the field and, and tell them. And if they're a good crew chief, they'll have your back. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll sit with you and socialize without drinking on, you know, not every day, but... You know, hang out. They might know if everyone that doesn't drink told their crew chief, the crew chief's like, hey, these people over here don't drink. Why don't y'all go to the Pizza Hut or something? Have fun. Right. Well, um, and not be afraid to reach out for other kinds of resources, too, because um, there are many different kinds of organizations, um, religious, non-religious, um, something you do individually, something you do as a group, because, I mean, if you need a good support network, try to get it, even if you feel like you're starting to go in that direction or you already are there. And then a lot, there are a lot of resources for those who are the friends of the person with the addiction, the family member, the child, and those are great resources too to help you understand what that person is going through and to be aware if you think you have a loved one that is going in that direction as well, looking for the warning side. So there's um, AA and then uh, many other ones I'm not as familiar um, with uh, other types, but um, I, I, Sarah, you mentioned SOS? Mm-hmm. Yeah, SOS is... Um... It's SOSsobriety.org. <laughs> They're a secular recovery program. They, they handle alcoholism, drug recovery, and food addiction, too, a lot. Um, but like I said, they're secular. They don't do the whole 12-step thing. They have their own system that works for them. Um, they've had 30 years of experience doing this. They've got a pretty good recovery pro- uh, recovery rate. And they have programs for everybody. I mean, not just the person suffering, but also for the family members. Um, I think so, you they know, have a bit more online resources, too, for people that right. are maybe not able to reach. Like, like go to physical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know personally. I've never had to use them. Right. Um, um, but I have friends who have, and they're pretty happy with their recovery. And sometimes you'll be surprised where in-person meetings are available. I've had crew members that I've driven uh, to meetings and places I was honestly surprised that yeah there was enough of a population to have those meetings. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's the one you know. good thing I can say about AA. I'm not a huge fan of them, but the one good thing I can say is there is always a meeting somewhere. Um, I've had two friends now use AA, and one of them recovered quite well, and that that was their shtick. They everywhere we went because I worked with them on several different programs or projects. Everywhere he went, they were able to find a program. Uh, 
and they would go to a meeting at least once a week. I mean, that was their thing and it worked for them, you know? Yeah, and good for them for getting the help that they needed. Exactly. Yeah. One of my crew members, you know, he would always research before mm-hmm. we went somewhere. Uh, his, his things was he had that. And he also found himself a hobby that fit in a shoebox. Nice. <laughs> to keep that he could idea. That, that to to keep his hands busy to help keep the Lord on MA. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good idea. Really good idea. And I mean I think that's good for anybody um, going on those types of projects too, where you feel like you're you're incredibly having a lot of difficulty being alone or bored on those projects. Keep finding things to keep busy is definitely a really, really good idea. Definitely. I, I will say that with when I first started, Wi-Fi was not a thing. Mm-hmm. Internet in the hotel was not a thing. But now, having gone transition from no internet to internet in hotels, that has helped so much. Because mm-hmm. I can reach out to people. I don't feel alone. I have several little chat communities I'm part of. Well, and there's other things on the internet that can keep you occupied, so... Yeah, much better movies than what's on like <laughs> TV. Typically free. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to pay. So, ladies, uh, this does bring us to the end of our podcast, but if anyone has any um, last-minute thoughts they would like to share, um, I'm going to go with as... I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the person with the most positive relationship to alcohol of the four of us. That, again, we're, yeah. we're not trying to demonize people who drink. I... I certainly drink, you know, enjoy having a shower beer when you get in and all the grime is melting away. You know, it is a problem. We do need to provide spaces and the options for people who don't drink to exist in in advance within our community. Everyone should stay safe. Um, Moderation is key. If you have a problem, get help. Um, I think those cover most of my bases. And yeah, and just, you know, building off of that, a lot of the things we say are coming from a place of concern and love and compassion because we want to have a really safe and fantastic fieldwork culture. We want people to succeed and we want people to do well and be happy and be healthy in what we do so that we can have a more successful archaeology a field of archaeology and so we may say things or okay i might say things like don't do that that's dumb but it's coming from a place of love <laughs> so please know that yeah we want everybody uh, to be know okay that this all also comes from a lot of experience on all of our parts <laughs> good and bad yeah again i'm not trying to like hate on people it's Enjoy yourself, but remain responsible. Exactly. If you find yourself in an extreme situation or find yourself starting to slip, there's programs and there's people. Just reach out to your people. Reach out to the programs. Get yourself some help. Don't be afraid. Exactly. Well, ladies, as always, it is wonderful to have you on. Um, I'm wonderful to talk to you. I always feel like I learn so much and get so many different perspectives. So thank you very much for joining me tonight. Thanks for having us. Um, See you next time. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. 
We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site. Or email them to us at womeninarchaeologypodcast at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin McLeod, available at Incomptep and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.